the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back as we head into hour two of our daily three-hour show. It is a delight to welcome to our airwaves Dr. Peter W. Wood. He is the president of the National Association of Scholars and author of maybe one of the most important books of the year. If my suspicions are right, probably the decade. The book is called 1620, A Critical Response to the 1619 Project. We've spoken a lot about politics, and uh, as I said the other day, you cannot continue to churn out 8 million graduates of high schools and colleges every year, given what they are given as uh, academic fare, and expect to have a centrist, never mind center-right country. Dr. Wood, thank you for coming um, on the show. Thank you for this book. Well, thank you so much for having me, and I'm glad to be here. Let's talk. Yeah, let's talk. Um, For those that don't know about the 1619 Project, uh, tell us what it is and why it needed a critical response. In August of the Toss devoted its Sunday magazine to 100 pages of explanation of why America was a racist country from beginning to end. Uh, the beginning it placed in August of 1619 when a ship arrived in Jamestown, Virginia and unloaded 20-some uh, African slaves uh, that, uh, according to the Times, became the basis of the chattel slavery system that uh, was to occupy the South for several years and continue the norm of uh, uh, racial prejudice, discrimination, and oppression to this day. Uh, the 100-page supplement had many, many details of how this oppression is supposed to work, and it ended with a declaration that this was going to be rolled out as a curriculum in the nation's kindergarten through 12th grade schools. Now, do we have a sense of how many schools, I know the NEA is behind it, do we have a sense of how many schools this curriculum is now going into? Last I looked, but it's dated. It was several thousand anyway. Uh, Early on, the Pulitzer Center, the organization that the Times worked with to roll it out, was saying that they had recruited 4,000 teachers to do it. Uh, that doesn't tell us how many schools, right. but we know that some school districts and big ones like Chicago and Buffalo uh, adopted it almost immediately, meaning that it was reaching all their students. Uh, after that, when people started raising questions, the Pulitzer Center clammed up. We do not know for sure. I do know that in states like Ohio, for example, the uh, Central administration attempted to impose it statewide, though it met some resistance. Uh, so, my guess at this point is that it's in many, many thousands of American schools, but nobody knows for sure. Uh, President Trump in, in September said that he would try to use the powers of the executive to uh, stop it being rolled out in the schools, but it's not clear 
that there is a mechanism to do that. And uh, so we stand right now knowing that many millions of dollars have been spent to promote it. Uh, activists are working hard to get it out there, but nobody has any numbers on how many schools. One of the interesting things, we're talking to Dr. Peter Wood, author of 1620, a critical response to the 1619 project. One of the interesting things about this, Dr. Wood, this uh, 1619 project, is a series, you know, just as we've been lamenting the poor, uh, the, the poor teaching, the poor curricula that exists on teaching American history in our nation's schools, just as this um, project was unveiled, a series of other historians, not conservative necessarily, in fact, many who would be considered liberal Democrats, they said, wait a minute, stop. This isn't even an accurate accounting of what they say, right? That's correct. Uh, the the leading body of uh, uh, of this project came in the socialist uh, newspaper, the Socialist Workers Daily. Right. Uh, and uh, in that format, a number of prominent uh, left of center historians made it known that they wanted uh, nothing to do with what the Times was promoting. Now, there's reasons for that. These were men who made their careers as studying the American founding or the Civil War or the Civil Rights Movement. And they knew that the factual basis of what the Times was saying was missing. Right. Uh, so, for example, we had the uh, the American Revolution described by uh, Nicole Hannah Jones, the architect of the 1619 report, as based on the uh, Patriots' attempts to prevent Britain from emancipating American slaves. Mm-hmm. Something that had never happened, mm-hmm. but she asserts it anyway. Uh, the Civil War is portrayed as Abraham Lincoln trying to find a way to rid the country of African Americans whom he abhorred. Uh, the Civil Rights Movement is depicted as a black-only event without any participation at all from the numerous whites who were part of it. Mm-hmm. So it's that kind of uh, falsification of history that drove even left-wing historians to come out and cry foul. So you're, 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 we'll get into more of it. Do you have a little time for us? I'd love to do a, a bunch with you on this book if you do. Um, I do. Good. Thank you. Um, Dr. Wood, so one of the things that naturally comes up, you're the president of the National Association of Scholars, that, you know, uh, someone, an average person might say is, well, with all this obviously incorrect data or history, how does it even get accepted into the schools? How does the New York Times even get behind it. My own answer is to quote Hannah Arendt, which is, the power of ideology outweighs all fact. But I wonder if you have a different answer. I don't really have a different answer, but I could add institutional heft to that. Okay. The power of ideology that you're talking about is nowhere more powerful on college campuses than in schools of education. Okay. So the, the teachers that are coming out of the universities and into the schools come fully equipped with their knowledge of Howard Zinn and uh, related uh, Marxists who have uh, presented them the, the basic picture that America has been a terrible, oppressive place from the beginning. The 1619 Project's architects are fully aware of that, 
and found it easy to recruit teachers into saying, oh, here you go, here's the here's another version of the story that you can tell to explain just how bad America is. This is a high-I-hate-America curriculum, and they were knocking on an open door when it came to many of the nation's teachers. You know, in a highly charged political season, people are, might, might ask, why am I focusing on this project? And, and the reason is because I think schools are where the answer is for our politics and for everything else, really. Um, as I say, we're churning out four million or so high school graduates every year and four million or so college graduates who are drenched in stuff like this. Um, and yes, you write in, I've read this whole thing, it's a great book, you write, the 1619 Project is arguably part of a larger effort to destroy America by people who find our nation unbearably bad. That's what this is. This is an ideological effort to undermine um, the foundations of this country from the left-wing perspective that started in our schools, perhaps with Howard Zinn's history, but has now improved upon it. Yes? Yes, correct. Um, I think it's important to add, if you're going to take a look at this thing, to recognize how slick it is, how beautifully produced. Mm -hmm. The New York Times even went out of its way to create a special type font for the 1619 Project. No expense was spared to make this an attractive product. So Mm -hmm. it's not just a, a, a kind of propaganda that is easily thrown aside as recognizably false. Uh, They hired beautiful models to appear in the advertisements for it. Uh, Every inch of the photography, the typography, the the layout of this was meant to seduce people, Mm -hmm. bring them into the story. And so we're, we're talking about sophisticated ideology and propaganda uh, in favor of a truly ignorant and repulsive cause, but those two things are not necessarily uh, uh, in opposition to each other. No, that's uh, right, and I'm glad you put it that way. Um, that's It's exactly the right way to put it. It is a repulsive cause. I have to take a break. I'd love to come back and talk to you about your date of 1620, and I want to talk to you about a couple other theories about what's going on here, if that's okay with you. We're talking to Dr. Peter W. Wood, his new book, Important, gosh, is this important, 1620, A Critical Response to the 1619 Project. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Delighted to have with us Peter W. Wood. He is the president of the National Association of Scholars, author of a brand new book, important, important book, 1620, a critical response to the 1619 Project. I want to get more into the psychology and ideology of the schools and education generally with you, Professor Wood, in a few moments. But first, 1620. How come you title the book 1620? Well, the immediate stimulus was that uh, 1619 was to roll back the uh, founding of America to a very early date. We normally think of the United States as coming out of uh, the Declaration of Independence in 1776. But, of course, there were a lot of important things that happened before that. And if we're going to start looking to the deep origins of the country, I think the most important of those deep origins was the arrival off the coast of Massachusetts in November of 1620 
of the ship called the Mayflower, mm-hmm. which brought, brought with it 102 passengers. Two-thirds of them were religious dissenters. The rest were uh, people intent on becoming farmers in Virginia. They'd been blown off course. They were arriving late into a barren and inhospitable land. And uh, as they approached Cape Cod, they began to argue with each other. The, uh, the secular section, the pilgrims called them strangers, said, we're no longer under English law. We can do whatever the hell we want to do, mm-hmm. and we will. Mm-hmm. Uh, the pilgrims thought that wasn't such a great idea, but they were fighting among themselves, too. Nobody was very happy. On November 11th of 1620, uh, riding at anchor, they came together and argued it out and came up with a 199-word uh, agreement, which we call the Mayflower Compact. It was a very modest, simple document, but it did something breathtakingly extraordinary. What it did was lay out a basis for self-government, a free people in a free world. They declared that uh, they had their allegiance to the king, wherever he was, that they were going to govern themselves by election. They would not only elect their own leaders, but create their own laws and apply those laws equally to everybody. Uh, the document was signed without regard to hierarchy. The servants, uh, the uh, young people under age 21 were signing it, and it became the basis for a new kind of government that the world had not seen before. A small group of people who disagreed with each other about a lot of things agreed to put their differences aside and find a way to govern themselves democratically. Now, now let me let me pause have, you on that, on just if I yeah. might there, because, Dr. Wood, up until, I don't know, 30, 40 years ago, almost every student in our nation's schools would roughly know that story. True. They don't. And they would know it from books, history textbooks, that weren't even really necessarily conservative. I mean, I think you would know better than I, but my memory of surveying history textbooks of yesteryear, one of the lead authors was one of the great progressives of the 40s, 50s, and 60s, Henry Steele Commager. Not a bad textbook, though, compared to what we're given now. Mm -hmm. That's true. I spend quite a bit of time looking at old textbooks and the basic story of what happened at Plymouth and on the, in the Mayflower Compact was universally well told in books of the past. We've mentioned already Howard Zinn's yeah. U.S. Uh, uh, the Mayflower Compact is not even mentioned right. in Zinn's book. Right. Uh, Plymouth is mentioned twice, mm-hmm. once as an act of expropriating land from the Indians and the other attempts to uh, brainwash Indian children into becoming good Christians. That's it. That's all you learn about the founding of the first truly independent, self-governed community in North America. And this kind of gets me to the psychology and ideology of what's going on here, because there's an interesting fight, if I can take us to the year 1776 for a moment, Dr. Wood. You know, when you think about civil rights, you mentioned civil rights and what the 1619 Project says about the civil rights movement in this country. When you think about the leaders of that movement, whether it was your Martin Luther Kings or the, or, or 100 years before, it was your Frederick Douglasses, they all looked to 1776 and then a little bit to 1787. 
And they had a reading, Lincoln, Douglas, the Union, (laughs) had a reading of our founding, which was that it was based on freedom and equality and the ultimate extinction of slavery. There was another movement in this country. It was called the Confederacy, and it was led by people who said that, no, our founding was based on slavery and a permanent encrustation of it or a freezing of slavery into amber. Is there not some dramatic intellectual irony that the 1619 Project types are on the side of the Confederacy's reading of our history? I think it is. I, I think that irony is there, and it's, it's uh, even larger than you say. Okay. That, uh, the, the 1619 Project traces American prosperity to the cotton plantation system in the South. So they make of slavery that which made us a prosperous and powerful nation, uh, which is exactly, of course, what the... Uh, proponents of King Cotton right. in the run-up to the Civil War were saying. They right. have revived the South's argument there you go. that uh, this is the uh, recipe for uh, wealth and power. Mm-hmm. That's the funny thing about this, is they have revived the South's argument, the argument of the lost cause. You, you know, we we all grew up, and I'm sure they would say, we all grew up, thinking that the Dred Scott decision was a horrible decision and that Roger Taney misread the uh, history of this country. They've bought into it. They've bought into that rendering of history. Uh, Because it lends itself so well to hating the country. Right. That is, a country that uh, has built itself out of the bondage of fellow human beings is one that's easy to despise. And making it easy to despise is the is the goal here. Mm-hmm. So, uh, the nature of the textbooks we have today, you know, some of them are better than others. Yep. Not all of them erase this uh, past, but they all play up the the multicultural uh, counter narrative, mm-hmm. the narrative that we are a bunch of separate people happen to be thrown together, and the best we can do is respect our differences. Um, rather than trying to find actual unity and uh, pursuit of common goals such as equality and freedom. Mm. Well, Dr. Wood, you've done this country a great service with this book, 1620, A Critical Response to the 1619 Project. I want every parent of children to buy it. I want anyone who's interested in education to buy it. Um, This is the antidote to that which is afflicting our schools. And as you write, which is part of the larger effort to destroy America by people who find our nation unbearably bad. Peter W. Wood, the book is 1620, a critical response to the 1619 Project. Sir, thank you for this book. Thank you for your time. Godspeed. So much for having me. I really appreciate it. You bet. We'll talk again soon. I'm Seth Leibson. We'll be right back. 602-508-0960. Your show from here on out. Yeah, that song uh, That song gives you some lift. You want some lift? Um, take Balance of Nature. It'll give you all the energy you need. Ten servings of 31 different fruits and vegetables. I take it every single day. Have been now for over a year. I've traveled internationally. I've gone through over a year's worth of seasons. Usually get sick in either one of those cases. Haven't gotten sick all year. 
because of the grape, bananas, blueberries, oranges, carrots, spinach, zucchini, garlic, and all the other powerful, robust stuff that's in balance of nature. Great product. The only thing I take, they have a great deal where they're offering free shipping and 35% off any new preferred order of their fruits and veggies. Give them a call at 800-246-8751 or go to balanceofnature.com. Make sure to use discount code balance. 602-508-0960 is our number. Mike is on the line from Phoenix. Hi, Mike. Hi, how are you today? I'm well. How are you? I'm great. You know, Seth, you've identified the malignancy exactly, and I'd like to give you just a real quick up-close synopsis of something I saw in my family over the last 20 years. Okay, please. My, my sister graduated four years before I did from college, and if she graduated in 1965 or 66, I graduated in 1969. Okay. She married a guy from the University of Illinois, and as you know, in the 60s, late 60s, a lot of the leftists moved into education. That yep. was honestly, that was part of the program. You bet. Angela so she, Davis so she, became a tenured yeah, professor. There you go. You bet. There you go. So she married a guy from Illinois, and he used to brag to me. I went to work for Shell Oil Company and went overseas and came back, and he used to brag to me um, that if they weren't Democrats coming into his class, they were Democrats going out. And mm-hmm. I used to tell him, that's that's not your goal. That's mm-hmm. not your role. Mm-hmm. But anyway, long story short, they had kids. She has four kids. Three of them are school teachers. Uh, four, three of them are school teachers. They're total leftists. Mm-hmm. I mean total. Mm-hmm. One, when she got out of the U of A, by the way, I went to U of A at first, and my high school English teacher, who was a, thank God, Republican, told me, she said, why are you going there? That's the little red schoolhouse. So at the end of the first year, I had my own business, and I, and I transferred to NAU. And she, um, and uh, my sister's daughter graduated from U of A, and she immediately went to Nicaragua to work with this pro-Sandinista school program, yep. if you can imagine. I can. And, my and college they, was recruiting for the Sandinistas. I know exactly what you're talking about. There you go. Yep. And she thought Che Guevara was the greatest person yep. that ever walked. Yep. Her other, her other son is smokes a lot of dope and, and teaches in central Arizona. And as a leftist that has no aspirations for anything except to just lay in the school program, spout that, spout that ideology, and live his life. But he's a leftist. Mm-hmm. The other daughter is a total leftist in a school district right here in Phoenix. Mm-hmm. And she was in the Red for Ed and just totally destructive. Mm-hmm. Their kids are an exact what we're looking for. Now listen to this. Then one of their kids, who is now... Uh, just graduated, is on Facebook all the time. We have three people in our family in law enforcement. Mm-hmm. She's constantly on Facebook saying how the cops are police are, yeah. cops are, oh, yeah. that cops, cops are an arm that was put together to uh, put black people sure. in chains. Yep. And then she also went on and on, and we have three young guys, one of them on a get em program, arresting violent criminals every day. And my brother confronted her, and on Facebook, she gave him this big diatribe about how he knew nothing, and she had a master's degree yep. in sociology, and her goal was to get a master's degree to be able to take apart our system from yeah. the inside. Seth, we're fighting 20 years of malignant hate for this country. This yep. is in my own family, no, that, and it's this not is, just my family. This is, That's right. I was just going to say this is not an uncommon tale, and you know, it raises a couple of questions, and the first one I have, it's weird to ask it, but I, I truly believe it, knowing a lot of these types. I don't think you had an honest one who said if they're not Democrats when they come in, they're Democrats when they go out. 
I don't think any any of them or most of them think there's anything wrong with what they're doing. They think this is their task. They think oh, this the is grail. their job. They don't see it yeah, that's right. as being biased. They see it as their duty to no, train absolutely. in this form of thought. You're, oh, it's so elitist. It, yeah. It's like this. I know better than you. Yep. And my elitist program is good enough for me, but yep. you're going to get in line because what we're going to ask you to do is good enough for you. Yep. Yep. In other words, there it's two tiers you of bet. socialism. You bet. It's this is what we're fighting, and you, and, and, and you can't ex- expect a centrist country. You just can't expect a centrist country, never mind a conservative no. country, every year when we're churning out no. millions and millions no. of students no. drenched in this that, toxicity. That's what we're fighting. Thank you, Mike. Thank you. You bet. Thank you very much. God bless you. 602-508-0960. Anything on your mind, we're happy to take your calls. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. If you are um, thinking about selling your home, if you're in the midst of trying to sell it and it's not going well, check out my friend James Wexler of JMG Real Estate, as so many of my other friends have. He's a fantastic real estate agent who can flip that script and get you the highest price possible on your home. He's ranked the number one selling individual agent in Arizona by the Phoenix Business Journal. He guarantees James does to sell your home at market value, or he will pay you the difference. He can also make you an upfront guaranteed offer within 24 hours and no risk to you. He'll always let you out of your contract at any time. Give James Wexler a call at 480-386-0711 or visit uh, jameswexler.com. That's James Wexler, W-E-X-L-E-R.com. I know that it's... um, Hard to stay upbeat right now. I I, I, I understand that. Um, we're looking at uh, election, um, a, a coalition or a coalescing, I should say, a coalescing of a view on the election that uh, we didn't expect and we didn't foresee, and that um, is challenging to us. Looks like a challenge, as Andy Biggs says, will be a heavy lift. I get that. We are looking at a um, holiday that we usually so look forward to in Thanksgiving and then the speed train to the, the bullet train to the rest of the holidays in December. Uh, we really look forward to as we see government officials telling us how to celebrate where we can and how we can't, including uh, forced outdoor gatherings, limits to how many indoors and what you can do indoors. In big states, um, we're looking at all of that, and we're reading every day about uh, the phrase that Joe Biden popularized, which is a dark winter, a dark winter due to COVID, and um, and it, it it just bolsters, if anything, bolsters more than ever before. What I was saying in writing in March and April and May about the panic then and the shutdown ethos then, which is if you thought we had an isolation problem in this country, 
if you thought we had a divisiveness and division issue in this country, if you thought we had a depression and substance abuse and relapse issue in this country, this was going to, back in what we were saying in April, May, March, April, and May, these kinds of policies was going to make it all worse. And the truth is we did have tremendous amounts of those issues in this country. We now see, according to the Institute for Behavioral Sciences, a 42% increase in substance abuse overdoses this year over last, right when we were beginning to get our hands around that. Thank you to Donald Trump and his efforts on that issue, particularly having to do with the opioid crisis. We're reversing all of this. All gains, it's an important point to remember, all gains in this country are reversible. All gains in this country are reversible. If you know your history or you want to study it, you can look at that and what Lincoln, what Lincoln was talking about and railing against, obviously, with, uh, with uh, things like the Kansas-Nebraska Act and upsetting of the Missouri and 1850 compromises. We can see it now. Think about foreign policy for a moment. We'll come back to domestic in just a second. Think about foreign policy for just a moment. John Brennan, CIA director under Barack Obama, was on CNN. Or excuse me. I apologize. MSNBC. Not that they're that distinguishable anymore, but on MSNBC earlier today, talking about why he's looking forward to a Joe Biden presidency to repair all the damage Donald Trump did in the Middle East. All the damage Donald Trump did in the Middle East? This has been the most successful presidency with regard to the Middle East in I don't know how many years. Not one, not two, three major peace deals. The foreign minister from Bahrain just today filed papers to open up an embassy in Israel before Donald Trump didn't even recognize Israel. Their idea, the lefts, the Democrats, the Brennan view of the world, the Biden view of the world idea of damage done to the Middle East is exactly opposite of what we think of the word in meaning, the word damage meaning. It's exactly the opposite. It's, so it's easy to get depressed and dejected, and it's easy to see how these things can be indeed reversible, reversed, changed. 180 degrees. That's part and parcel of the schools issue as well. It's really easy when you think and you coast for a while on the notion that all is well and good in my 8th graders or 12th graders history or civics book and they're learning good things about this country when they are not. It's really easy to think that the left is just a small part of this country and not a meaningful part of the Democratic Party. It's really easy to buy into the notion that Joe Biden says, do I look like a socialist? I don't know what a socialist looks like. Does Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez look like a socialist? Does Howard Zinn, does anyone even know what he looks like? Do the authors of the 1619 Project, does anyone know what they, you don't look like a socialist, you act and think like a socialist. And the most haunting thing I can think about, the most haunting thing I can think about is the quote. Mostly you get these quotes from people who lived in socialist slash communist countries, which is why they were so supportive of Donald Trump in the first place. 
It's a quote by Milan Kundera. Never get it out of my head, and neither should you. The first step in liquidating a people is to erase its memory, destroy its books, its culture, its history, then have someone write new books, manufacture a new culture, invent a new history. Before long, the nation will begin to forget what it is and in what it was. You know what the most important part about that quote is? It's the opening line. The first step in liquidating a people is to erase its memory. Do you know why that's important? Because it means it's doable. It can be done. It's something to be concerned about, something to be worried about. This is why we can't get complacent, not now. Though it looks dark, though it looks worrisome, though it looks like we are facing not just a dark winter, but possibly possibly dark years, dark, 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 dark seasons, not dark one season, dark multiple seasons. We don't have to. We don't have to focus our energies, pull up our socks, and get optimistic about what we're about to try to save here. It's our country, after all. If you can't get optimistic about trying to save that, you can't be optimistic at all and you won't have a country. Join me in this, please. 602-508-0960. Complacency will be our end. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show, 602-508-0960. Your show here on out. Let's start with Tony in Scottsdale. Hi, Tony. Hey, uh, Seth. Good afternoon. How you been? I'm fine, sir. How about you? Uh, good. Good. So uh, just, uh, I got, just got a couple of quick points. So I, I have to tell you that for me, again, I'm in, in the construction business. Yep. I, with respect to the election, Seth, I had no idea how it was going to go. I didn't think it was going to be a landslide. I thought it was going to be a tooth and nail fight from the get-go. And so it really doesn't surprise me that it came down to the situation that we currently have. I, that, that really that's, that's a good perspective. I mean, there was a lot of conventional wisdom that I was arguing against. I was thinking it was going to be a big Trump win. I was arguing that. I turned out to have been wrong. Conventional wisdom, if what we're looking at is correct, turns out to maybe have been closer to the truth. What you thought. Right. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and, then, uh, and then just another point. The other thing is, uh, just, just, here's the thing with respect to Donald Trump. He even, even with all the warts that our current president had with his tweets and his attitude, I, I think the one thing that he taught all of us is that it, it's, it's okay to fight. It's okay to fight hard, and yep. it's okay to fight for what you believe. And I re- and I really do believe that that's going to be a lasting uh, a trait. That or, is the, that uh, is one of the most lasting traits. I agree. Uh, whether it's uh, a lasting trait now or a lasting trait four years from now, but you're absolutely right. I agree with that, Tony. Right. So I, I just and then uh, and then the other uh, just a couple more quick points is that now do you do you think that. Uh, Assuming that Biden becomes our president, now do you, do you think that Trump is going to melt into the woodworks, uh, go away? Because I, I don't think he is. I don't think he is either. Um, if Biden becomes president, um, well, first of all, if it looks like the court cases are not going to win, what I really want the White House to do more than anything first or next, I, I would like them to put together a study 
on election systems and election and voting problems for, as you said, he gives us lasting legacies. I would like them to put together a study on all that went wrong and all that they're still suspicious about so that we can have another roadmap as to what to prevent in years to come. Um, Second, you know, there's been speculation uh, all over the place, and I I don't have any better speculation than anyone else. I don't have a, a direct line to him. But you know, if he can help create a new media platform that solves the problem with Fox, I would love that. I would love that. There you go. But he doesn't okay. go away. No, Trump does not does not end with a whimper. He he ends yeah, with a bang. Yeah, I, I, I don't think so either. Hey, yeah. Seth, thanks so much. Good talking to you. Bless you, sir. We'll be right back. Bob, don't go away. Six zero two five zero eight zero nine six zero. Your show here on out. 